today. I love Jesus. Anybody else in the room love Jesus this morning? So, so glad to have you worshiping with us today. Um, I want to ask you to stand with me one more time, please. We want to read from the Word of God. Isaiah 55, chapter, chapter 55, verse 11. Uh, find one of the screens that you're comfortable seeing, and let's read together. Here we go. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now stop right there. I'm going to add two more verses today because this is relevant to what we're going to be preaching on overwhelming joy. Following this, God shows the fulfillment of the promise of breaking the curse over the earth. And he says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, myrtle tree. And it shall make a name for the Lord and an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God's first judicial act in the garden was to pronounce a curse on Adam and Eve's disobedience. And it was first the serpent... <clears throat> and then the woman, and then the man, and then it was the earth itself. He talked about thorns and thistles and briars and weeds that Adam would fight, and he would raise the crops by the sweat of his brow. And so when God says, instead of the thorn is going to come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. It's the fulfillment of God completing the whole process of destroying the curse in the earth. Now, Second passage that I want you to read, and I want to set this up with a little bit of pre-reading, so I'll tell you when to start, okay? This is in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the lineage and the house of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. This is where I want you to start right here. Here we go. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Bow your hearts with me please this morning for a word of prayer. God of peace and comfort. We cry out to you this morning for the families of all of those innocent children 
in Connecticut. God, our hearts are broken. If I and I know everyone else in this room has just been so moved and saddened. Just a cloud of gloom just seems to hang. God, with this awful tragedy, this awful massacre. We pray for the families of those children and Lord, for the family of the person that did this. They're hurting as well. And we cry out to you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to move in those lives in Connecticut and bring healing, bring peace. Lord, in the midst of this national crisis, God, I pray that you would turn on a light in the darkness and let the recognition of the joy of the Lord that can be our strength in a time of trouble. God is an ever-present help. God is our refuge and our strength, and he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And God, I cry out to you today from the depths of my soul, from the bottom of my heart, God, I intercede and I stand in the gap with this congregation. We, we, we get ourselves together in agreement this morning, and we pray, God, send revival to this nation, O oh Lord. God, send, send a spirit of restraint against this nonsensical terror. In the name of Jesus, God, we cry out to you and we pray for the wisdom of the Lord and the favor of God, Lord, to be revealed upon our leaders in obedience to your word. We pray for our president and for his wife and their, his, their two beautiful little girls and we pray you protect them and keep them safe and God, break through and bring wisdom to bear, Lord, upon our senators and our congressmen and women. Lord, our Supreme Court, Lord, our state and our local governments, we cry out, Lord, that even as the word says that we do this so that we may live godly and peaceable and quiet lives, Lord. Protect our children, Lord, in this area. In the name of Jesus, God, protect our school teachers. Lord, we ask you, oh Lord, that you would move in this nation and send, send a revival of the Spirit of God. Pour out. Pour out, oh God, upon us. We are desperate, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Lord, we repent. God, we will stand in the gap this morning and say, forgive us when we've let this nation continue to make changes and drive you in the very mention of your name out of every public venue. God, we, we cry out to you and we ask you, Lord, to bring a change in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, God. Just... I just acknowledge before you and everybody that's here, oh God, that I can't do anything apart from you. Spirit of the living God, be the joy that comforts the afflicted. Lord, there are people in this room that are facing things that nobody else knows about, and God, you're mindful of that. You know all about it. Thank you that you minister joy and you let the strength of the Lord be their portion. Thank you that every knee will bow to this Savior who is Christ the Lord. We choose to bow now, Lord. We bow before you. In Jesus' name. All of God's people said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The promise brings hope. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we hear the promise that the gospel comes into our hearts and our lives and begins to stir and bring change and changes us from the inside out. The promise brings hope. When a promise is fulfilled, 
It is an amazing time because the promise is fulfilled and the hope that we first hear that we typically travel through a time before we arrive at where that promise becomes provision. And provision brings joy. Everybody say joy. Joyful, joyful, Lord, we adore you. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. The prayer of the person who wrote that amazing hymn. But there is this journey between the promise that brings hope. There are steps of faith that we have to take. Sometimes there are years that are involved. Days turn into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, sometimes years into decades before we see the provision of a promise. I think about Abraham not even asking for it, but God taps on his shoulder one day when he's 75 years old and says, Oh, Abram, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to add a ha to it. I'm going to cause you to be the father of many nations. He's 75. He's already too old to be thinking about bouncing a baby boy on his knee. But God says, I've got another idea. Abraham says, Lord, you're out of your mind. He says, no, I'm just outside of yours. That's all. (laughs) A promise comes and brings hope. And when that provision arrives, then there is great joy that comes in our heart. But many times there is this process, a, a journey of walking through that God takes us through to change our lives. Say it with me. Here we go. The promise brings hope. The provision brings joy. The process in between is what changes your life. Females understand this far better than we guys do because you carry the seed of life inside you in this unique physiological apparatus that you have called a womb in it over this projected period of time that God has assigned these nine months. You take the seed of man and you give it back in a fully formed, fearfully and wonderfully made baby in the image of his mother and father. When that seed enters, there is hope and After a while, you begin to actually show that there's something that is moving around and changing your life and stretching you from the inside out. And it starts to cause you to uh, receive to some degree some uncomfortability where you can't do what you used to do. and, 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 And things are changing all over your body and moods are swinging and you're crying one second and angry the next. Don't say amen, brothers. This is not a good time to do it. But there are these mood swings. And then you start wanting, longing, craving, desiring strongly things that you've never thought about putting together in combinations. I've made midnight runs in both of our children's pre-development stages. (laughs) Strange things that Dawn said, I want. And I said, I'll go get it. And I think it's the same kind of thing when the gospel penetrates our hearts. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It gets down on the inside of us and it starts moving around and transforming you. And it starts growing from the inside out and it makes you uncomfortable. You don't fit in your clothes any longer. And there's some expectations that are set upon you. And you start longing for some things that you never have long before. Stuff that used to satisfy you just doesn't quite do it. You got some new cravings. And there's a process between the hope 
that the promise brings and the provision that brings the joy. The Bible says in John chapter 16, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. I love the King James that says, for joy that a man child has come. I think about the birth pangs. I think about the process, not just merely the nine months that we walk together as a family, as husband and wife, and, and me and Dawn, and we're longing in expectation, and we start getting a room ready, and we're buying all of these new clothes and these new expenses that come along, and there is just this, just this awareness of the fact that everything that we've ever done, life is going to change. It's not going to be the same way ever again because we're bringing something else into the world that is going to be entirely dependent and reliant upon us. He cries, she cries, we feed, we diaper, we do all of these different kinds of things because this little life is looking to us to see that it's nurtured and cared for. And I'll tell you, the, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 4, 19. He looks at the church in Galatia and he talks about the struggles that they're facing and the things that had come against them and the legalism and the Judaizers and all this stuff that he was trying to push into. And he basically says, my little children, I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. So this was a gospel preacher, an apostello, an apostle, a sent one by God who is speaking to a church that he was responsible for birthing into the kingdom of God. And he's talking about he, he's longing to see Christ formed in a people. And it's this beautiful analogy that women understand better than we men do. But the apostle Paul grasped that and he said, my little children, I travail in birth until Christ be formed in you. And I think about the process that my sweet little wife went through, 16 hours of labor on January the 15th, 1988, when Michael Andrew Smith came bouncing into the world, 16 hours of labor. And then the doctor said, we're going to have to do a C-section after laboring 16 hours. And through that 16 hours, there are stories that I could tell, and I'm not going to embarrass my sweet wife. She's not in the room, sitting on the corner here with her smiling face going, you better lock it up right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to be very circumspect. But I'll just tell you that it's amazing how in this process that these, these roller coaster emotions can hit when you're expecting something that's changing your life from the inside out. I took the camera. It was one point where she slapped the camera and she said, if you point that thing at my face one more time, I'm going to put it somewhere. <laughs> she didn't mean on the table either. <laughs> I mean, we had, <laughs> all, we had heed and hoed all we could do. He, 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 ho, ho, ho. She said, if you don't quit he hoeing in my face... One, once a little nurse came in and tapped her on the shoulder, and I promise you this was a scene that could have been used in The Exorcist. She rolls her head around and says, get your hand off of me. <laughs> I, I think that was about hour 14. How many of you brothers have been there in that circumstance? I decided I won't do the whole thing. And I remember both of them. I'm, I went into that operating room when we were doing the C-section. And I'm praying in the Holy Spirit going, God, protect my wife. Bring this baby into the world. And I'm just, I'm just jabbering in there, just praying. I didn't care what the doctors thought. And then at one point, I stopped my prayer and I said, are you going to put that back in there? Because he was just moving stuff around. 
I'm, I'm going, I'm going to get her back in one piece, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking about the outrageous travail. The process that we'd gone through in the nine months. And then the hour upon hour of agon, Greek word agon. It talks about just the striving of faith to bring that promise to pass. And then I think about when that baby arrived, it's like Dawn looked like she'd taken on hell with a water pistol. It was rough. But there was this gleaming smile on her face. And the scripture that I just read, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a man child has been born into the world. And I think about the same circumstance with Abby, seven years and one day later. Drew's birthday is January 15th. Abby is January 16th, seven years later. And I'm thinking about how the process that we went through and the anguish and the, just the struggle and the travail. And I'm thinking about how many times the word literally relates that to you seeing a vision birthed in your life. Whether it's praying for God to raise good children that are stable and that are settled. And, or for God to, 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 to build a strong marriage that maybe for a season might have been on some rocky soil for a while. Or, or maybe trying to get a business or a vision or a new idea birthed so that it becomes, it, it, it becomes self-standing and sustainable and becomes successful. All of the hours, the midnight oil, burning the oil, praying, seeking God, striving, working hard, doing everything you can in your power, working like it all depends on you, like the Puritans said, but praying like it all depends on God, like the Puritans said. And how the things that we do, the process we go through in order to be able to birth a promise into the world, it's that stage between hope and when it's finally fulfilled in joy and it arrives. And in the middle of this, I just want you to see that God designs the process for us to experience in between the promise and its provision. Say that with me. God designs a process for us to experience in between the promise and its provision. That's this whole thing called a process. Number two, don't forget about Joseph in this deal. Look at your neighbor and say, don't forget Joe. Joseph is a fine, upstanding young man, and he has betrothed to him this sweet, beautiful, what he thought was innocent 14, 15-year-old girl at the very most, and she started showing. I won't take time to read to you the verses, but it's found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and it says that he had made a decision. He had resolved to divorce her quietly, not to bring her to shame. Because in that day and time, all he would have had to have done would have been pointed out and she could have been stoned. Somebody thank God for dads who stand up to do the right thing. Put your hands together right now. Come on. For dads who follow through. For dads who go the extra mile. And he'd already made up his mind, but the Spirit of the Lord got involved and changed his mind. He had an angelic visitation. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and in the dream, the angel said the same thing to him. He said to Mary, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. He says, fear not, for this one that is going to be born of Mary is of the Holy Spirit. It's not some other guy on the loose out here. It's not your greatest fear. 
What Mary told you is the truth. This thing is a God thing. It is a God birth thing. It is a God idea. That's the difference in a good idea and a God idea. You don't just need a good idea. You need a God idea in your life. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He didn't have any marital relations with her. That's what that literally means. And he called his name Jesus, who shall save his people from their sins. This is the point I want to bring. If God speaks to you and is doing something in your life that will affect everyone else, he will confirm that through someone else around you. God didn't just tell Mary, but God confirmed it by telling Joseph as well. What, what, the reason that it's important to recognize that is because we need each other. We need community. I need the leadership of this church. I need our shepherds. I need our staff pastors. Uh, and when, I, when God speaks something to me, he will confirm that. There will be a witness of the spirit. They will say, yes, this is a God thing. And we rise up and we do things in a team because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the Bible says, every word shall be established. When two or three agree, Matthew 18, as touching anything, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. And literally, God will move heaven and earth when two or three people can get in agreement. And so, God speaks to your heart. If it's something that's going to affect everybody else around you, he's also going to speak it to somebody else in those around you that will be affected. God won't just tell a man... I'm going to uproot you and give you a transfer to another major city and then not confirm that in your wife's heart because you have some children and a school and, and, and relationships and friends and a house to sell and all of these kind of things. And let me tell you something. If God tells you something, he will confirm it to those that are close to you who are going to be affected by it. If nothing else, they will come to a place of peace where they will be able to say, you know what, I trust God and I trust you and I hear, I hear the voice of the Lord when I hear you speak. But there's always that confirmation. So don't forget Joseph because Joseph played a critical role. He stepped in and did what fathers should do. I believe that the joy that we're talking about this morning is the joy that comes when Christ came when Christ was born 2,000 years ago. It's the joy that comes when Christ is birthed into a new heart and you are born again into the kingdom when by the sovereign hand of God, your shoulder is tapped on by the work of the Holy Spirit and God says, I want you. And you've sensed that, you've felt that, you've, you've felt the transformative working power of the Holy Spirit in your life, knowing that it was not by works of righteousness which you have done, but it was by the renewing, regenerating, washing of the Holy Spirit that we are called his. And I believe that that always produces something, and I believe it's joy. Let me tell you something. I believe the primary characteristic, point number three this morning, the primary characteristic of the believer is not love. It's not grace. The primary character, the characteristic of the believer is joy. Everybody say joy. When something comes into your life and starts changing you from the inside out, I believe all of those fruits of the Spirit begin to work and begin to be produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. 
All of those nine fruit of the Spirit all begin to flow. But the one that is the most evident, the one that is the most obvious, the Puritans themselves said the greatest and the most visible characteristic of a believer's life is that they have overwhelming joy. I know some Christians that need to notify their faces that they have a little bit of joy. Present company excluded, okay. Everybody in here right now, it's just amazing how all of a sudden the room lit up with smiles looking back at me. I wish you guys could have seen what I just saw. It's like, it's like somebody's up here with a flash going, say cheese, and everybody's like, joy, joy. <laughs> joy is a byproduct of the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy. I don't believe that this is just the omnipresence of God. If that's what it meant, the whole earth would be joy-filled all the time. Because God is everywhere at all times. I believe there's an application of it when we talk about the indwelling presence of Christ. Because when that comes is when joy does come to reside in your heart. But I believe it's more than just that. I believe it is not just his omnipresence everywhere at once in the fullness of his presence all over the world and the entire universe. There's no place where his presence is not there. Psalm 139, David said, if I make my bed in hell... You are there, O Lord. So there's no place that I can run from his presence or hide. And it's when he comes and abides on the inside of me because the seed of hope has been planted in my life and I've been born again into the kingdom of God, I have the indwelling presence. But I believe there's something else that we touch and that is the manifest presence of God when he comes. And that was the thing that David longed for. He wasn't talking about hanging out at the temple. He said, Lord, I, I, I want to, one thing I desire and that I may inquire of your temple and dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He's talking about a, a, a mobile presence of, the God, of God's manifest presence walking around everywhere he is. That's the house of the Lord. God is in this place. That's what our hearts seek and desire because it's in that environment where he touches hearts and saves souls. It's in that environment where sick people are healed. It's in that environment where joy is restored. And I believe that's because the secondly that joy is a byproduct of the salvation of the Lord. God comes in and changes you and he gives you joy where you used to be a grumbler. He gives you peace where you used to be a warrior. Bible says in Isaiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Shout aloud, cry out, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. For with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Did you know you have a well on the inside of you? All you have to do is just begin to stop and back up and give God a little bit of praise in the middle of the circumstances that you're facing. And it's amazing how God will redirect your focus off of the problem and you'll get it onto him. You'll get it off of the largeness of your problem or difficulty and you'll start to get it on the grandness and the majesty of the God that you serve. It's like that statement on the, the, the church sign that says, no longer do I say, God, I have a big problem, but I look at my problem and I say, problem, I have a big God. It's a whole different perspective. In his presence is fullness of joy. In salvation, we are filled with a well of joy. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and overflow. Spring up a well, flow out through me. That life abundantly. The primary characteristic of the believer is joy. Very simply stated this morning, I have a couple of more points that I want to bring, and, and that is in the middle of all of this joy, everybody's 
strengthen now. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, when you have joy, you feel like you can just take on anything. When you, have, when you have joy, you look at things through a fresh perspective. You, you look at circumstances and just say, oh, you, you have that attitude of problem. I have a big God. When you're filled with the joy of the Lord. But there is this very real enemy. The Bible says his MO, his modus operandi, his job description of the devil is this. John 10, 10. The thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life and have it more Abundantly. Have it to the fullest. That's what the NIV says. Have it abundantly. Fulfilling and overflowing. Overwhelming joy. But around this season, just like the events that took place Friday, and it was just like a cloud just began to hang, like a heavy fog rolled in. And, and, and Friday night and then all day Saturday, I was just grieving in my spirit. Just grieving over the, the, the state of this nation. Guys, when I was in the sixth grade, Gene Wilson, who was my sixth grade teacher at Bragg Elementary, would open the Bible every day and read from the Gospels, and we would start school by saying the Lord's Prayer together. This was in 1973. And we would pray, and even some children would say, pray for my mom, she's not feeling well this morning. We would, uh, Miss Wilson would take prayer requests at school. And you know, we didn't have to have a security guard we were scared of the principal. <laughs> and she was a little white-haired, bent over, and we just knew she had an electric paddle. <laughs> and these days, forgive me, I just, I'm so just grieving in my spirit over this thing. These days, there are security guards, multiple ones of them, on every campus, and a lot of the larger city schools have metal detectors before they can come into the building. Something has happened. Something has happened in just four decades. God, we need you. We need you to touch this nation because the enemy has come in and stolen and killed and robbed and destroyed from us. We need to turn some things around. Let's make it personal this morning. Everybody in this room faces a Grinch that wants to steal your joy at Christmas. A little Dr. Seuss, Whoville thing that I just don't feel like we've had Christmas. There are a number of things that we, it's just, it's almost a religious observation in our house. We have to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Abby, oh, please don't tell me we're watching that again. Come in here now. Come in here. He's about to get his wings. Come in here now. <laughs> we just haven't had Christmas if, if we don't flip across CBS and see Rudolph. We haven't had Christmas if we, if we, if we don't see Charlie Brown. I mean, there's just a few things that we, we're going to do as a family because we wanna, I want my children to grow up and I want to remember those times together. We're making memory. Come on in here. We're going to make a memory. <laughs> don't it's just all of you are relieved going oh my gosh I'm so glad to hear that it happens at the preacher's house too <laughs> Drew says we're gonna do what <laughs> there are Grinches that are trying to steal everybody's joy in this season number one the biggest one of the biggest Grinches is circumstances stuff just happens 
you know, you make plans and then life happens is what the bumper sticker says. I'm not going to tell you what the other one says, but circumstances happen. <laughs> it has a Greek word on it there. Anybody? <laughs> circumstances. That's all the stuff that's circum, the, 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 the stuff that's standing around you. Circum in a circle. It's everything that's pointing at you. All these events, these unplanned issues, these, these things that come up, the deadlines. Secondly, it's not enough that events that are unplanned happen. You get some people involved. You know, when you get people involved, that's when you really can lose your sanctification. Because people get involved and they have opinions. And then it's not just enough that circumstances happen and people get involved and tell you what they think you need to do to fix it. But guess what? While they're telling you what you need to do to fix that event, things break down. Oh my goodness, this is one of those seasons in my life. Where's Jack Murphy? I bind you in the name of Jesus. Your law, Jack, is working right now at my house. Everything that can break down will break down and go wrong in multiples. And things, and you get focused on this. And I literally said in my prayer time yesterday, God, I am working hard. I don't want to be putting my money in a bag with a hole in it. Let your favor rest on my life. Establish the work of my hands. Bless what I'm putting my hand to. Maybe this is helping some folks in the room this morning where you might be in a season similar to this. Where it's just like you're going you know, I'm, I'm just convinced. You, you, you spend all this money for these vehicles and you think you're getting a good one. And then I think they rig these things to break a slap apart right after you've made your 60th payment <laughs> on your five-year loan. And I'm thinking, oh man, it's just going to be so wonderful because we can go for a year or two. Everything's in good shape. Praise God. We can save some money. Yeah, Right. How many know what I'm talking about? Circumstances, people, things. And then the things start to pile on and you think about what's coming in 2013 and then here comes worry. Worry. Baby needs some new shoes. And you start worrying, where is the money going to come from to buy baby some new shoes? And so in the middle of all of that stuff that we have to deal with, I'm doing real good here, and this is my last point. I want to show you that how God will bring you a joy recovery system. Are you, you ready for that? I need some joy recovery. Four things. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Philippians, and it's called the epistle of joy. The letter. Somebody said one time, the epistles are the wives of the apostles. And that's not correct. The epistle is a letter. <laughs> Y'all, thank you for your grace. That is such a bad preacher joke. It is so corny. Be quiet, lackey over there. See, that, that really means you love me because you laugh at my bad jokes. Our joy recovery system, how can we deal with the circumstances? Number one, the, Paul the Apostle writes the Philippian letter, and he writes it in prison, people. He's in jail. And he's not just in jail, he's down in the basement of the jail. And he's in shackles, hands and feet. And in the basement of the jail in about the first century AD, um, they hadn't yet discovered the wonders of 19th century, 20th century plumbing. And so basically the basement got everything that ran down from the other two floors above. 
and I'll just let you figure out what's running down. It's the part of that bumper sticker I didn't mention a moment ago. (laughs) And then circumstances happen. And it's all over the place. And they're, they're in the middle of this environment. And Paul and Silas are singing. Midnight, they're singing. Another time, Paul is in the Philippian jail and he writes this epistle. And he talks about joy in every one of these chapters. One, two, three, and four. These four little small chapters. And the very first one, he gives us the secret. The first one is the key that unlocks all the rest. And it is, it is this whole idea uh, of a singular mind. It is a completely single, simply focused devotion. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul the Apostle says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And let me just, just tell you this morning, as I, as I wrap this message up and bring it down on my last point to a close, if you can come to the place in your life where you recognize that Jesus Christ is not just the center, but he is everything. He's the one who makes all the difference. There's nothing you need if you have him. He is the healer. He is the provider. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is the the game changer who gets in your boat and calms the storm. He is the weatherman. He's all of that. He's the one who comforts the afflicted. He's the one who afflicts the comfortable. And he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I can reach that kind of a singular determination... That whatever I do, it's because he's living and doing it through me. And if I breathe my last breath while I'm preaching this message right now, oh, the joy of heaven, because I'll be standing before the one who calls me his son. And it will fix everything. Nothing, nothing can be absolutely more overwhelmingly joy-filled than to be in his presence in fullness. So I can deal with circumstances if I can begin to realize, hey, I'm alive this morning. Christ is alive in me. All this stuff that's happening, God's got it. God is sovereign. He's going to order my circumstances. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. That's not me and my own righteousness. That's because I've been clothed over like Abby was talking about. God put a cloak around me and it's called the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When he looks at me, he doesn't see what I used to be. He sees who I am now in Jesus. Number two, how can I deal with people? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, he talks about the submissive mind. Everybody say the submissive mind. This beautiful thing called humility. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Oh my goodness, if I can live singularly for him and if I can live humbly for everybody else. That's the secret of this mystery of the upside down kingdom. That if I will make the determination to live my life first for my brother, for my sister, God will see to it that myself gets taken care of. I love... I pour out, I show mercy, I administer grace, I remain calm in circumstances that otherwise could have aroused anger. 
soft answer turns away wrath and I learn how to pour love into it. Number three, how about the things when they all start to break down? God wants to give us a spiritual mind to help recover our joy. Philippians 3, 19 and 20, what are we minding? What are we thinking about? The Bible says their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All this stuff that we get so up in arms about, it's just stuff. And you know what? It's going to wear out in a little while. And you're just going to stack it in the house with all the rest of the stuff that you don't have enough room for already. And you're going to go buy things you don't need with credit you, you can't repay to impress people that you don't even like. Our washer and dryer broke down this summer. And I'm going to tell you, there are a couple things I hate to spend money on. Tires on a car and a washer and a dryer. I just, I don't know, maybe, maybe the ladies, maybe the ladies can get excited. I just can't get excited about a washing machine. And I go and I go, oh my gosh, you mean the washing machine has become a status symbol now? I'm standing in Lowe's and looking at all these multicolored, oh, it's got to be a front loader. I, I said, hang on. Let's, I just want something that cleans my clothes. Now, now, don't you hear that the wrong way? If you've got a front loader, be blessed and praise God with your front loader. I don't care, but I'm just saying it's just a thing. And, and the car we drive and, and all the stuff, the, how many garages you got on your house and is there a boat in one of them and do you have a couple of sea-doos? And, and man, the list just goes on and on. Well, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. Oh, I just want that. That's what I want for Christmas. And I just, I guess I'm old. I guess I finally have reached the stage I thought I would never get to. Where I, I honest, I told, I told Dawn over and over, I don't care if I get anything. I just want to be with y'all. I want to have a good time. I want to, I want to enjoy. I want to laugh. Now, you want to get me a few pair of socks, get black and blue, and make sure they're all the same because I can go to the drawer and they don't even have to be matched. I can just pick them. <laughs> Am I thinking like a man or what? It's just so blessed to be in a place where you can be content and your, your contentment and your joy is not defined by what you have or what you don't have. You know what? Somebody might say, well, pastor, you just don't know where I am. I don't know if I'm going to pay the bills. You know what? Get a hold of Jesus. Put your faith in him. This community will wrap its arms around you. We're, we we want to help you do whatever we need to. We're not, we're not going to minister to the community out there and not help take care of this community in here. This is our first responsibility, really, right in here. We want to love you and walk with you. Let us know. Don't just sit there and go, well, you know, I'm, I'm just in a bad way. Well, tell somebody. We want to help you. We want to love you. We want to, we want to walk with you. Because this is a community of faith. Finally, this morning, and I'm finished, the Bible talks about the worry, all the stuff that's hitting you right now. How am I going to pay for all this? The secure mind, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, talks about God's keeping power. Listen, and I'm finished. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You've had some joy-stealing grinches in your life. 
just want to tell you, 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 you may feel like you're in that place where you've heard a promise and there's hope in your heart, but you've started to walk through the difficult period of that thing changing you. You've stepped out in faith with a new vision. You got a new commitment. You're determined to disciple your children. You're going to have a prayer time in your home. You're going to determine you're going to love your wife and you're going to look at her and speak positively. I believe that the love that a woman feels in her heart has so much to do with how much that man invests in her. Listen to me, men. The, one of the most important things you can do for your children is to love thy mama. Love the mother of your children and let your children see you love her, arms around her, kiss her, tell her how amazing she is. Thank God for her. Grab those kids, get five minutes earlier and grab them at the door before they load up to go to school and pray a blessing. God, protect and keep and guide and help us to make good decisions that glorify you in Jesus' name. One sentence, prayer, one sentence, prayer. I text my children and I'll text them a verse from the Bible that they have to look up. I send them to Drew all the time in, in Jonesboro. I send them to Abby in the middle of the day at school. Just a verse. Don't, I don't write it out. Because then she has to look it up and she'll text back and she'll say, thank you, Papa, I love you. Whatever it is, however your love language, whatever you do, make sure that you don't just do it in this season. Everybody is going the extra mile, giving and loving and showing compassion and throwing in the Salvation Army bucket and buying things for people. Oh my goodness, what would it be like if we would just make sure that we started living like that the other 11 months of the year? Living out of that kind of joy. Well, I can't do that. I don't have that extra money. Well, you know what? It's not all about money. Sometimes it's just about a smile. Sometimes it's just about a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's you go over to the little lady next door who does not have the ability to get out in her yard and you take an hour and your kids and you rake their leaves. And you love and you pour out some time and you, you share with others. Are you hearing me this morning? God says if we'll... First of all, set our affection on him and get a singular mind. He'll take care of the circumstances. If we'll get a submissive mind and humble ourselves with each other, he'll take care of the people. You know, really what he does is he ends up changing you. And you get a bigger heart to love more is what happens. And then they get changed because they go, wow, he's different. <laughs> Pastor Michael is happy today, praise God. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Quit worrying about all the stuff and all the things. Set your affection on things above. You are a card-carrying member of the family of God, and your citizenship is in heaven. You're not wondering if you're going to stand before God and he's going to judge you at that point and let you in. You were judged 2,000 years ago at the crucifixion of Jesus. If he is your Savior, you've already been judged. The judgment was poured out on him that you deserved. And you're a part of the family of God now. You can know that with confidence. Last one. All the stuff you're worrying about, your worrying's not going to do any good. It's not going to add an inch to your stature. It's not going to change the hair from, your, from gray back to what it used to be. Matter of fact, it can probably contribute to the growing amount of gray. Quit worrying. Don't borrow from tomorrow's trouble. It will steal your joy. But the God who gave you the word of hope, the promise is the same God who's going to walk through this process with you until completion. When every bit of the provision that he's made in that promise becomes real and you've birthed a man-child into the world. That's what Mary felt. 
when she birthed this baby and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And the angels sang glory to God in the highest. This morning I want to ask you if you would please bow your heads with me. As the lights come down now, I want to challenge every person in this room. There was not room in the inn for the baby Jesus. But I want to ask you today, is there room in your heart this morning for the man Jesus? Because he's reaching to some people in this room right now. Some of you have never crossed the line of faith before. You've heard the gospel and something on the inside of you just says, you know, I just don't think I can be good enough. And I just want to tell you right now, it's not about you being good enough. You are saved by works. It's just not your works. There are Jesus. It's what Jesus did. It's never your works. Jesus worked it all out and he did it all. He said, it's finished. It's done. Religion will tell you it's all about what you do whether or not you can get in. And I'm telling you right now that that's finished and if based on your trust in Jesus Christ alone as your personal Savior, you can walk out of this room today with new joy bubbling up out of your heart because the salvation of the Lord has come to your house. There wasn't room for the baby in the end, but is there room for the man Jesus in your heart? Every head bowed, every eye closed, just want to ask you right now, if you'd like to be included in this prayer, you're saying, Pastor, I do want to cross the line of faith today. I sense Jesus drawing me, calling my name, tugging at my heart. If you would just slip your hand up, I'm going to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. And another? Anybody else? Two beautiful young people. Anybody else this morning? Let's pray in faith with these. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these young ones. Lord, who have the precious potential of starting a life and walking with you all their days. Thank you, Jesus, that you reach into the hearts, Lord, of these little girls. And I pray, oh God, right now, that you move and you birth them into the kingdom of God. Thank you that as they pray, Jesus, save me. Just pray that right now in your heart. Just say, Jesus, save me. Father, thank you that you do what no man can ever do. By the power of the Holy Spirit, fill them, Lord, with your presence, I pray. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Believers, fill this room. Some of you walked with the Lord for years. Some of you are battling depression and discouragement, and you need strength. You need the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know what your circumstances or the people are doing in your life or the things that are breaking down or the worry that you face. But Jesus Christ is the answer to every one of those things. If you just need God to give you a fresh injection, the Holy Spirit today, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Father, you see these hands right now all over this room. In Jesus' name. Move, oh God, on their job. Move in their relationships. Move in their finances. Move in their health. Move in their families. In their circumstances. Among the people, the things, the worry, all this stuff. It's stealing their joy. Thank you that we, we apprehend the Grinch and we stop this. Thank you, Lord, that you've come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for the joy of Jesus. All of God's people said amen. Would you put your hand?